Well, hello, you sexy beasts. Welcome back to another fabulous edition of Sex and Other Human Activities, the podcast that talks about sex and other human activities. I am Sarah Benincasa. With me, as always, is the genius Marcus Parks. How are you, Sarah? Oh, I'm well. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Marcus Parks is at twitter.com slash Marcus Parks, M-A-R-C-U-S-P-A-R-K-S. I am at twitter.com slash Sarah J. Benincasa, S-A-R-A-J-B-E-N-I-N-C-A. S-A. It's great radio with Marcus and Sarah in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) We had to restart. Uh, uh, This is the third time. Um, The first time was because I forgot that I'm not on, like, shitty radio where I have to pretend to be happy anymore and I can just be like yeah you know I'm having a day I was like hey everybody what's up Woo! although to be fair when I did uh, uh, Sirius XM um, I, could, I definitely had some days where I was allowed I was certainly allowed to, to be how I was and to feel you know shitty uh, and sometimes those were the best days sometimes when you are in radio and you let out real emotion on air that's when people respond to you the most yeah, I uh, absolutely agree on that. Whenever I used to be in college radio, whenever I'd have a, have a sad day mm-hmm. and play a lot of Bright Eyes and, <laughs> and and really slow, like, pixie songs that were very sad. Like, people would call in, it's like, Marcus, are, are you okay? Like, are, are you good today? And like, yeah, I'm fine. If you walk away, I'll walk away. <laughs> tell me what would you take? And Marcus is just crying. I know one you come back to me, Mary? I'm so sorry. You walk away, I'll walk away. <laughs> I want to do the whole song. There's kids playing guns in the streets. And that was exactly... One's pointing... I'm not done yet! I'm not done yet! One's pointing a stream ranch at me. You must have you wave. Yeah, she doesn't love you anymore, Marcus. I'll walk away. Yeah, strangely enough, that was the biggest hit of that year. God, that song's so sad. It's I'm just so like sad. Connor. <laughs> Connor. Gonna be, Connor, it's gonna be fucking fine. Like, god damn it, you're famous and shit. Everybody'll fuck you. Things are gonna work out with Winona, and if they don't, I'm available. It's fine. <laughs> I would like to uh, give a shout out to the people who make it possible for us to be here. The Creek in the Cave, a uh, fantastic venue for uh, uh, for Mexican food, A. Yes. Uh, B, for live theater, improv comedy, stand-up, um, right here in Long Island City, Queens, 10-93 Jackson Avenue at the Vernon Jackson stop on the 7 train. And uh, the 21st Street Van All stop on the G train. Ooh, and we must give love, of course, to Rebecca who is the owner, proprietress, and general badass motherfucker who um, who has made this possible and who has made such a neat space for comedy and for whatever the fuck it is we do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca. <laughs> Thank you. And I was just next door, and I'm, I'm having some delicious rocket fuel from Sweet Leaf Tea. Ooh, that's dangerous. I know, man. It's chicory, maple syrup, and coffee and, uh, and whole milk and... Um, and it's so fucking good, and I'm probably going to shit all over <laughs> the board, which will make it hard but fun for you to do technical things, Marcus. Yeah, for the next couple of weeks. I mean, I'm just going to be in Dandyland. Mm-hmm. Mm. We should get them to fucking give us free shit. <laughs> we just gave them free publicity. And let me tell you something. As of as of now, as of this going up. 
I'm guessing as as of the recording, we're up to 700 subscribers. I'm guessing that as of it going up, we'll be up to 800 probably. I'm thinking so within the next couple of days. Thank all of you so much for listening. Thank all of you for your kind comments. Uh, we very much appreciate it. Tell your friends. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Jinxies. jinxies. Wait, we have to cross pinky fingers. Pinky fingers. Pinky fingers. Yeah, and then we have to touch thumbs. Touch jinxies. Thumb. jinxies. Yay. <laughs> what a week it has been. It has been an eventful week, uh, a dramatic week. There has been uh, a lot going on, I feel, in both our lives, some yeah. of which you know we can discuss, some of which we can't, of course, because uh, the part of the drama is that uh, we killed a man. <laughs> And then we fucked his corpse. Yeah. And that's the title of this <laughs> week's edition of Sex and Other Human Activities. We killed a man and fucked his corpse. Yes. So um, actually, I, I would like to talk, if, if we may, um, and of course, later we will get to reader mail and, uh, or excuse me, listener mail. Yes. <laughs> listener mail. Um, and uh, we got some great feedback uh, from folks and a very nice email from a young man uh, who is uh, the ripe old age of 16 who lives in uh, in the UK and has a question for us about one night stands mm. and um, which and, uh, I think we both have we have a had lot one night stands with, yeah. yeah yeah and so we can talk about that you know what's funny actually what's that? I've had one night stands but I I bet that I could count all of them I bet that I have had I'm going to try and count them right now. Okay. You try okay. and count yours. Do you think you can count them? Oh, no. No, you can't. No, no. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> uno. Wait, does it count if if we didn't get it in? Is no. it a one-night stand if I if, if it was a blowjob or they ate my pussy or something? I don't think so. Okay. So just getting it in, one-night stand. Just get, like, full-on intercourse. Intercourse. One. Um, I know there's more. Okay, so <laughs> one. Uh, two. No, I don't know. I would say, I would bet. Now, I can't remember exactly right now, but I swear to you, I would bet money. I would bet $100 that I don't have. I would bet $100 that I don't have that I have had in my life. If we're talking about sexual intercourse, I've had four or fewer one-night stands. Wow. I swear to God. Now, making out, like one-time making out, that's different. Oh, that's completely different. But one night stands, four or less. In fact, I wouldn't put money on three. I would put money on four. All right. Uh, three, I would put $50 on, let's say. Four, <laughs> I'd put 100 on. Because I really haven't had that many. Because here's the thing. I find that when I have a one night stand, not always, but sometimes. Actually, no, always. It ultimately is very... Um, it's it's not emotionally fulfilling. Mm-hmm. So like the first time when I came to New York, the first person I had sex with in New York was a one night stand, and I cried. Ooh, yeah, and it wasn't like he was a lovely boy, a poet, literally. Ooh. He was, I know. Um, he well, was a did boy. He, did he enjoy it? The crying? No, because he was a good person. <laughs> There's actually a chapter in my book. Not like a Bukowski type of poet. Oh, no. He wasn't like, I love this. Keep crying, bitch. <laughs> he was like, oh, my God. Are you okay? What's wrong? And I was like, and, well, this is the deal. I'll just tell the story. Okay. How do I just tell the story? Okay? Let's just do it. Uh, so one night stand, a uh, horror story. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, you know what? I might only have had two. Maybe. Wow. 
I'm going to figure it out and I will provide the information next week on sex and other human activities. But it's been very few. I've made out with boys for sure. But, you know, I think part of it is that I didn't start drinking alcohol until I was 23 and I didn't start drinking alcohol socially um, really like in a, on a regular basis probably till I was 27 and I'm 30 now. So I haven't had a lot of I, I I've never had a blackout drunk night. Thank mm-hmm. God. I've I've not gone to a lot of rock shows and met a lot of boys and stuff like that. You know, it's just and so I haven't. I think in the music scene, that's that happens more frequently in the comedy scene. Yeah, it happens, but like, come on, you know, you're gonna bang somebody who you know could talk about it on stage. Like that works both ways for me. Yes, you know, guys are like, "Oh, are you gonna talk about this?" And I used to have a radio show about sex, and now I do again. Um, but um, now we do, and so it, again, it was like, "Are you gonna talk about this?" And so there was some reticence there on their part. But so, ugh, all right, worst one night stand. Not the worst because it was fully consensual and not at all physically painful, but still bad. Um, uh, okay, so. I had liked this boy in college. I had a crush on him. I was a freshman. He was a senior. He had a girlfriend. And it wasn't that he was so, like, hot or something. He just was – well, he had a sexiness to him because – not overt. He was just so awkward and nerdy and nice and I was 18 and he didn't hit on me and wasn't skanky and he was a good writer and he was talented and, you know, he had really nice floppy dark hair and – so he had a girlfriend who he loved and I, I think I maybe talked to him three times, but I had a crush on him. And so then he graduated and, you know, life went on and everything and I didn't see him for many years. So then uh, I believe it was – let's see. He, gradu- he would have graduated in like 2000. So this is 2005. Five years later, I am in New York City, just moved there to go to Columbia Teachers College to get my master's degree, which I eventually did. And I need to order it. I need a copy of it. (laughs) I graduated officially like two or three years ago and I still don't have a copy of it. Um, So, okay. So the dude, uh, nice guy, I am going to call him Frank. No, I don't like, I don't like the connotations of Frank. Gerald? No, again, too old. Let's call him Jack. Jack. Jack's a nice name. Yeah, Jack's a very nice name. Jack. So I am at I'm, ha- I'm at a poetry reading. God, I first get to New York City and I think I'm like Sex in the City Carrie Bradshaw because that's what I watched and I thought it was a documentary like all these fucking cunts <laughs> who fucking live here now, all these dumb cunts. Thank God I don't have a shoe obsession. I'm not that into fashion or else I'd be the worst person alive. Instead, I'm just almost the worst person for having moved here, having watched Sex in the City. So um, I, uh, I I see Jack. At this poetry reading because I, the reason I went was some guys who I had known in college, not good friends with, but just known were doing this reading. I saw something about it in the voice or whatever and I was like, I'm going to go over there to Brooklyn to see this. I go by myself. I see it. I'm like, hey, remember me, blah, blah, blah to like them. They're like, oh my god, Sarah, you're here. That's so crazy. What are you doing here? Like, where have you been? Blah, blah, blah. Then Jack is there and I'm like, oh my god, my yeah. freshman college crush is here. So I start talking to him. And I find out that he's broken up with his girlfriend relatively recently, give him my number, very forward about it. And I'm like, whoa, let's hang out. So he calls me. We make plans to hang out. 
we go out to eat. Um, it's really nice. We talk. It's fun. We're both smart and funny in that way. And it's, you know, it's in Brooklyn and it's like late, late summertime, early, early fall, I guess. So it's nice and it sort of gently rains and it's very pretty. And Aww. you know that, the, the, you know, we walk on the promenade in Brooklyn. Know you know the ways we walk all over Brooklyn and it's just so pretty. And I'm like, I live in the city and I'm with a nice boy. And, you know, I had gotten out of a relationship. I'd been dumped about mm, six months prior by a guy who I had wanted to marry. And mm. I had wanted to move home, home quote unquote, uh, to North Carolina where he lived. We had been doing a long distance thing while I did AmeriCorps out west. And so we had stayed together and, you know, he had dumped me. Rightfully so. He totally did me a favor and I've told him that since that, you know, we didn't have a, a good relationship and we've since moved on to be much happier and, and healthier people. And, uh, you know, and he's a lovely person and we've both grown up a lot. So, but I was bitter at the time. At the time, I didn't have the benefit of hindsight. I was just like, fuck him. He dumped me. <laughs> Why would he want to get out of this terrible, mutually awful relationship, you know, that was good for a little while and then sucked ass. So um, I was still bitter about it. Still missed him for sure. Definitely missed the guy. Was sad. I knew he'd gone on some dates and I was sad and whatever. So I'm out with Jack. We have a nice time. We start making out on the bench and looking at the promenade and all the lights. It's like beautiful, nice and fun. So then I'm like, can we go back to your house? When, and he was like, yes. And I was like, I am Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> Do you see this? And so we go back to his house. We're making out. It's fun. Uh, and it's do, it's do it time. So we start to do it. And he puts on a condom. And he, he puts it uh, – puts his himself inside of me. And, uh, you know, and I'm there. And I'm thinking like – like – um. All of a sudden, I, I get this feeling, you know, but at that point, I had only had sex in the vagina with one, two, three, four people. Mm-hmm. I think I'd only had sex in the vagina with four people. And um, so, and primary, the person I had the most sex with had been my ex. And so uh, he puts it inside me and it just hits some trigger because girls are very connected to their vaginas. We have an emotional connection from the heart and the brain to the vajayjay. And I'm not saying that we can't have casual sex. We can. But there is a certain thing that occurs sometimes in a lady's lady parts that I think doesn't always happen in a boy's in that the floodgates of tears can open up. So – He's inside me banging away and not in a bad way, just doing it. And I start to cry. Oh, I know. It's the worst. It's the worst thing you can do in a one night stand besides like actually assault somebody. Thankfully, I've never experienced that. Oh, my God. Well, thank the Lord that you haven't or, you know, Cthulhu or whoever. (laughs) Because it is just awkward. Crying during sex is not a good look for anybody. No. And it was super duper not a good look for me. So I'm crying. I also had a really short haircut at the time, which wasn't a good look for me. And so I'm crying with my short hair. And I'm like, oh, my God, Carrie Bradshaw, what the fuck? This is not a Carrie Bradshaw thing. This is some shit Charlotte would do. I'm not even that pretty or skinny or rich. It's just something Sarah would do. It's something Sarah Benincasa would do, and it's stupid. Well, I think you learned an important lesson, though, is that you were Sarah Benincasa. You are not a character from Sex in the City. Thank you're, God. You're your own woman. God damn it. Yes, exactly. I'm not like, handbags, let's walk four abreast on the sidewalk so no one else can walk by because <laughs> that's good New York etiquette. Ugh. Anyway, so he's like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I'm okay. And he goes, 
Sarah, what's wrong? And in my head, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not Carrie Bradshaw. I'm not anybody on Sex in the City. I'm so disappointed in myself and in life. I just moved to – the only reason I moved to New York was because the other grad school I got into was in North Carolina and it was in the same little town where my ex-boyfriend who I loved and wanted to marry even though we had a terrible relationship lived and I couldn't go back there. I had a full scholarship there at Western North Carolina University. What's up? And, uh, and, and I gave it up so that I could come up here to Columbia to go into huge amounts of debt and yes, it's a better school but I don't want to live in the city and I don't – I just want to be there and I wanted to get a dog and I wanted to get engaged and I wanted to have a baby and have a Victorian house that he would fix up and it would be so nice and uh, – and, um, So is this before or after you got psychological help? Um, after. Ah. Definitely on some pros. This is just a, this is just girl crazy. This isn't oh, even okay, like crazy. Okay. This is just girl. This is just girl. It's not even crazy. It's girl moment. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my dreams have crumbled. And so I, but instead of saying all of that to him, what I said was, this just isn't how I thought it would be. <laughs> and I meant my life, but I'm pretty sure he thought I meant his cock, yeah. <laughs> which was inside me. And well, of course, uh, how else is a guy supposed to take that during sex? Correct. Yeah, because v- men are very much in the moment whenever you're having sex. Like you're not whenever you're having sex with a woman, you're not. And she says, "This isn't what I thought yeah. it would be." You're not thinking like, "Oh, she's talking about Her. everything." Yeah. That's very confusing. I know. And so it is at that moment that he pulls out. Uh, clearly, things were not going well. And uh, and we note that his cock is wearing what appears to be an Elizabethan ruff <laughs> made of latex because the condom had broken. Ooh. Some at some point mid sob, the condom had broken, and uh, and it was Dick was now wearing a ruff, and. That was when I looked at his cock and I said to myself, Sarah, the time for tears has passed. It's action time. And I was like – and he was like, oh, fuck. And I was like, oh, fuck. And immediately I was like, OK, I'm going to need to use your computer. Like I just snapped because that's how I am. I snapped immediately because it was crisis mode, right? I was yeah. like, I got to take care of something. So I was like, all right, I need to use your computer. And he was like, what? Because I had just been crying and I immediately stopped and just went stone cold. I was a fucking Terminator. I was like, I need to use your computer. <laughs> And he's like, what? And I was like, I need to use your laptop. Do you have Wi-Fi? And he was like, yes. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, great. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm like, I need to go on Planned Parenthood to see when they open because I need to get the morning after pill because your condom broke. And he was like, what? I think he, he thought it was a great idea, but he was just so – it was a real shift there in terms of personality, a real Sybil-like flip. <laughs> but I immediately was like, okay, put aside emotions and it is time to handle the situation and I can flip out again later. Mm-hmm. But right now there is a crisis that needs to be handled. I need to I need to kill whatever may transpire. Even though, you know, I couldn't have even been pregnant at that point. Like generally the the actual conception process doesn't happen right when somebody jizzes up in you because those boys got <laughs> got to swim. Swim for dear <laughs> life. So I believe that conception can can uh, can occur. I believe now this is on the extreme end. Really extreme end, okay? So, but, but conception can occur, I believe, um, up to 72 hours after the act of intercourse. Yes. So the actual, they can meet up. And in fact, some sites will say it can happen up to five days after. Um, but, you know, let's just 
preserve a little bit of our, our sanity here and say 72. As a man who's used the morning after pill, gone halfsies on the morning after pill, it's 72. Yeah, it's yeah. – I've too. researched this. Yeah, and that's – well, that's the morning after pill is – is um is is uh, effective believed to be reasonably effective up to 72 hours afterwards and there's a new pill out or a, coming out i think that's like a 5 day after pill or something mm. like that that's bringing in you know a lot of debate um so uh, essentially what the morning after pill does is it prevents – it works in one of two ways one it um it prevents uh you from releasing um, an ovum, if you haven't already released an ovum, um, so it prevents that, or it makes the lining, the endometrium, the lining of the uterus hostile to implantation. So if there is a fertilized uh, ovum already, which I believe when it's fertilized, I'm not sure if it's called a zygote yet or not, but if it's a fertilized egg, um, it cannot implant. If it is already implanted, according to the manufacturers anyway, it um, it can't. It doesn't do anything, which is why the morning after pill um, plan B is the brand name that I've used uh, is not considered an abortion by people who do not believe that the point of conception equals uh, a life. People who do believe the point of conception equals a life, it, in other words, fertilization, would consider it to be an abortion pill. But it's not. The abortion pill itself is is called. Um, I always pronounce it wrong. I believe it's mifeprone. That is an adorable name for Miffyprone. It's like MFI. Miffyprone, yay! And and Miffyprone is different. That shit cleans you out, Drano style, bitch. <laughs> you take that shit, you ain't having no baby. And that is what you have to get. The morning after pill is available now over the counter with no prescription at participating retailers. Some do not. <laughs> I, there have been times I've taken it a few times. I've taken it uh, four times, mm-hmm. and. Um, at least two of the times I totally didn't need to take it. I was just scared because my period was – I was just scared. But two of the times I did because mm. two of the times it was a broken condom. And um, I went to different places that – I remember I took it in New Mexico once and uh, they – I went to Walgreens. They were like, no, we will not give it to you. We do not stock it because they're allowed to opt out. Pharmacists can opt out if they want to. And like nobody had it except fucking Albertson's Grocery. God bless you. <laughs> Albertson's, Albertson's Grocery in Las Cruces, New Mexico. God fucking bless you motherfuckers. For... I used to love going to Albertson's. Uh, Lubbock, Texas. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know the ways. Oh, I know the ways. It's, uh, Albertson's is a regional thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Wonderful so... grocery store. If you live in uh, West Texas or Eastern, Eastern New, New Mexico. Mexico Support your local Albertsons. You know what? I think they might have them in Los Angeles too. Really? Yeah, they've got Ralph's out there, and I saw an Albertsons once years ago, and I was like, Albertsons, <laughs> thank you for not giving me babies. So, yes, um, but that was actually, of course, one of the times I really didn't need to take it. I was just a silly Billy. But anyway, so that story and the uh, the the aftermath. Uh, is is chronicled in a chapter of my book. Yay! Called currently, and the book is currently entitled Agora Fabulous. Uh, it is due April first uh, to the publisher, <laughs> and the chapter, I believe it is chapter eight. It is currently called Maybe Baby mm. because there were some there were some interesting things that took place uh, uh, afterwards uh, that that led to a a rather a rather mysterious occurrence one day. It's probably a little too sad for me to go into on on this particular podcast. But let let's, me tell you, quite a journey. Let's keep the levity going. All right, let's keep it going. We go to a dark place, though, sometimes. We, we do. do. We, we very much do. Place. We went to a very dark place last time. We got intimate and shit with, like, our emotions and our listeners. Mm-hmm. People were like, yo, I feel it. I was like, bitch, <laughs> why am I talking in that 
horribly semi-racist urban patois. That's horrible for a white person to do. Anyway, um, so Marcus, have you ever had a one-night stand that that went awry? Yes, you have. You, no. We talked about it last time. I've had a – oh, yeah. I've had a lot of one-night stands in my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, gone awry. Uh, I don't know. There were definitely some uncomfortable mornings, a lot of uncomfortable mornings and a lot of uncomfortable – see, look, this is a question that I was wondering about. Does a one-night stand count if you have sex with a woman on two separate occasions? No. No, you don't think so? Wait, is it in the same hanging out period? No. No, no. It's like... Then it's not a one-night stand. Months and months apart. Oh, not a one-night stand. Not a one-night stand. It has to be just one time with one person? Yes. For example, I had sex once with this guy. Um, We had sex, I think, a total of two times over the course of a week. Mm -hmm. And so that's not a one-night stand. We also hung out um, quite a bit during that time, too. A one-night stand is a hit it and quit it. Right. Uh, I couldn't, t- I could tell you this though, whenever I've lived in New York almost five or four and a half, five years now, I think in my first year there was about five or something like that because there's women everywhere and there were a couple of skanks in there. I will admit. Uh, no, you sound like you were a little skanky at that was, time. Uh, dude, I've been skanky. I was skanky for, from like, <laughs> to be fair, like 16 until it's a skank calling the kettle skank. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I've, I've been a pretty big skank in my time. Well, uh, but I'm, you're a cute guy in a city that's filled with horny straight women. And, and I have read, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have read that the ratio is like, 2.5 straight women between the ages of 18 and 40 to one straight dude between the ages of 18 and 40 in this city. And I, I don't mm. believe that's an exaggeration. There's so many women, so many gay dudes. It's I mean, right. guys, if you're looking for some tang, you should move to New York City. Well, I will say that I, I do believe that I have – no, I don't believe. I know that I have uh, reformed my ways because after being in a committed relationship for about three years – okay, granted – Right after me and my girlfriend broke up, I did have a one night stand about a week after that yeah. with a. <sighs> did it go poorly? Well, it was just the girl was an unattractive Norwegian chick. Hey, like... Norway's fun. <laughs> I like no, Norway. Norway's a lot of fun, but she had the kind of a Broomhilda type thing going on. There was a bulk. There was a bulk. Okay. Yeah, there was a definite. Uh, and you're, and there was you're a, slender. And there was a bit of a bulldog face. Uh, so, why did you have sex with this girl if you thought she had a bulldog face and w- you didn't like the bulk? Because I was wasted and had okay. gone three years monogamous. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Understood. And she was just there. And and I think people do that. You the know, rebound happens. The rebound, like you're in a relationship for a long time and someone – and you're wasted because, you know, you're sad about the relationship and the woman's just there. Uh, and it doesn't really matter who it is. And I think both men and women go through that. Absolutely, for sure. I definitely did. When I broke up with my not, – not my past boyfriend but the one before that, um, I definitely went on a, a bit of a tear. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, a tear is like four guys in three months. <laughs> it's like, it's wild. <laughs> and, you know, like I, I – you know, one of them I semi sort of dated saw something. Um, I wouldn't call it dating exactly, but you know, it was, we hung out and did things other than just fuck. So that made it something else. And actually the other one too, there's another one. Um, but anyway, and, and that's not even, that's not, I didn't even get it in with all those dudes. I got it in with, so there were four dudes I get, wait, were there four? There was that guy. 
then there was that guy, and then there was that guy, and then there was that guy, <laughs> who then went on to be my boyfriend. So I only got it in with, I guess, two of them. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so I slept with, you know, two guys in three months, and I was like, wild tear, wild tear, all of whom I had known beforehand anyway and was <laughs> friends with. I was like, crazy. But anyway, the, the point being, yes, I think that that does happen, and it's a rebound, and you're sad, and I think as long as everyone involved recognizes that it's a rebound, uh, you know, sometimes a rebound turns into a relationship, you know? Sometimes it does. But I assume Broomhilda, you know... Never saw Broomhilda right. ever again. She went back to Norway about a week later, as far as I That's know. That's perfect. Yeah, because it was one of those things where she uh, texted me and she was like, hey, do you want to hang out? I'm like, I'm really busy. <laughs> I'm like super busy for the next week, which I actually was. If I, But if it was a girl, like a hot Norwegian girl, I could have made... Some room I could have. Yeah, I'm sure you could have moved around. your schedule. I could have moved. I could have moved my schedule around. You know, they get they get this podcast in Norway. Yeah, I know, Just but saying. I don't. I seriously doubt she remembers my name. Yeah, so it was fine. And I seriously doubt she had a fling in New York on her vacation. Yeah, and Whatever. it was and it was fun. You know, and I'm. I don't really. I don't really. I don't regret it. You know, and there's maybe only. You know, besides the uh, you know the the rapey ones that we talked about last mm-hmm. week, which let's be let's be specific here. We're not talking about Marcus raping somebody. We're talking about yes. Marcus being blackout drunk and a girl having sex with him and him waking up and being like, "What the fuck just happened?" Exactly. Uh, and there's and her only- being like, "I love you." <laughs> Marcus being like, "Ah!" <laughs> and uh, out of all the rest of the one night stands, there's really only like one or two that I regret. Out of the rest of them, you know, always wore condom, was always safe, and yeah, I mean, and they were fun, you know, they mm-hmm. were fun, and it wasn't one of those things where it's like, you know, I slept with a woman and then just ignored her, yeah, or anything like that, you know, if it was a one night stand, it was going on both parts, you know, it's like both me and her understood, it's like, okay, this was a one-time thing, it was fun, see you later. Yeah, it's like a do it and done kind of thing. Exactly. And, you know, I think that sometimes there, I think that sometimes you do, like, sometimes you need to, there, there's so many different reasons to have sex, and sometimes you need to hook up just to see what it's like, and sometimes you, I think, need to hook up it, it can lead you to like better realizations, you know, about yourself, about other people, about all kinds of stuff. For example, when I had that one night stand with Jack, it made me realize that uh, I wasn't really a one night stand type. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not really a one night stand type, and it, it, I've had them. Certainly, I think I've had you know four or less of them in my life of like getting it in. Um, oh wait, I just remembered another one. One, two, three, three. Yeah, three. So let's say I've had three that I can – I'm sure there's another one. Um, Maybe not. Anyway, some good things can come out of a a one-night stand. Bad things too like babies or herpes (laughs) or or, broken relationships and all that jazz. But you can have realizations. You can be like, hey, I realize, you know, I really want to be with this person. Or, hey, I realize I really don't want to be with this person. Um, you know, so I think – I'm definitely not somebody who would prescribe against one-night stands. I would say be safe. And also recognize that a broken – for me, I, you know, 
a broken condom during a one-night stand, that might be more or less stressful than a broken condom in the context of a relationship. Hmm. Now, that's how would it be uh, less stressful? Because if I if if something goes wrong and I have to have an abortion, or if something goes right, the way humans are designed, like I've never had an abortion, but if uh, you know, if if I if I had one, um, it would be so much more devastating to me. I feel to have one where I very much loved the other person but simply was not ready to raise and care for a child. But like to imagine what our child would have looked like and sounded like and what we would have been like as parents and all that, that to me is so much more devastating than when it's somebody who I had a one-night stand with. Well, I think it's the difference between going to uh, the clinic with your boyfriend versus going to the clinic with your best, gal pal. Your best gal pal. Or yourself. Yeah. That's, I mean I went to yeah. that day after with Jack to get the morning after pill. I went with um, I went with a myself. <laughs> I took I took I, I found out when Planned Parenthood opened. I was like, hey, can I hang here for a couple hours? He was like, uh, yes. <laughs> I called a car. I believe it was Northside. Mm-hmm. Right. Shout out to Northside luxury cars <laughs> here in Brooklyn, New or oh, in Queens, uh, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, a, a town car, and I. Or did I find a yellow? Shit, I don't remember. One or the other. I took a cab. I think I might have. I might have cheated on the cab that the car that I'd called with the yellow. Oh man, what a night of iniquity, man, and, and yeah. badness. <laughs> so whatever. I got there and uh, and I went to Planned Parenthood and I was there by myself and and that I was so. I would rather have done that than have certainly brought him. With, I, he didn't want any part of that. I'm no, sure. And, you know, and I'm sure you didn't even. I mean, oh, I didn't even what, ask. What was the point? What were we gonna know? do? Talk about like so? The dinner we had last night was great. How are things? <laughs> I got out of the cab at Planned Parenthood at the Margaret Sanger Clinic uh, here in Margaret Sanger Health Center here in uh, in well here in New York City over in Manhattan. And um, is that the one on, uh, in Soho? It is like Bleecker Street. Yeah, Bleecker Street. Yeah, yeah, I've been to that one. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for uh, you know a mutual test. Me and my girlfriend testing before we yeah. went off condoms. That's and all a beautiful that thing. Yeah, good it was. for you. You're a fucking role model. Ah. 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 So I get out of the cab that morning, and it's real early. And I guess it was a Saturday, and Saturday is, I guess, abortion day. Um, <laughs> well, they of only course, it's your at, day off. At, it was Planned Parenthood of New York City runs it. Um, the umbrella. F- Federation is Planned Parenthood Federation of America, which I worked for very briefly, um, but not at that point. And uh, I got out, and I'm there at PPNYC, the the Sanger Center, and it was so early. It was like six or seven in the morning. They open early on that day, and uh, I get out of the cab, and I was so out of it, and I was so sad, and just upset for a lot of reasons. And I get out of the cab. And there's this man there who looks like Santa Claus, like a big guy, bearded, you know. And so he looked kind of jolly. I think he may have even been wearing overalls and flannels. Like he just looked like a jolly character, not smiling, but just looked like a jolly character. And I was like, oh, I just needed to connect with a human being. And I needed to connect with a male human being in a way that wasn't just paying him for a cab ride or having sex with him and crying. I just needed to somehow have a normal human interaction that was polite and sweet in some way. And so I get out of the cab and I see him and I'm so goddamn tired and I look at him and I, you know, I just I meet his eyes and I go, good morning, sir. And at that point, I noticed he was staring me with just the most intense hatred that I've ever seen. Mm. Still to this, I've done some, you know, mean things. I've done some stupid things. I've done some hurtful things. But I've never seen someone stare at me with that actual just hatred and a real... um 
a real uh, sort of violence in his eyes. Like I wasn't a person, not in the way that in New York City you just ignore other people because we live on top of each other and we need to create emotional space, and so we just don't look at each other. But just I, and not the way someone looks at you when they're working in a bank and they're like, "Oh, another fucking stupid customer." But I really wasn't a human to him. I was a, uh, I was some kind of awful thing. And I learned what I was to him when he pointed at me and shouted, "Murderer!" Oh. And that's when I noticed he was carrying a Bible. Oh. And I was like, and so I just looked at him and said, "What?" Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand. He yelled at Sol and he goes, "Murderer!" And I looked at him and I said, I go, this is fucked up. I go, not yet. Because <laughs> in my head, I'm like, I haven't even taken a piss test. I'm probably, conception hasn't even happened yet. You clearly don't know that I am not a murderer yet. Like, I may <laughs> make that choice, sir, down the line. But you, I am not yet a murderer. Yeah. And so I'm just looking at him. And at that moment, I so these, I had a, a, my first sort of interaction with what I believe to be genuine human angels. I hear these two girls. Uh, come up to me and I hear this voice go, oh my God, those earrings are so cute. Where did you get them? <laughs> and I'm like, what? And I turn and there are these two young women um, and they're wearing these, they're real cute, cute, funky glasses, cute hair, you know, the very like hipster Brooklyn girls, mm. kind of like the girls I had seen out the previous evening um, in Brooklyn with actual hipsters. But these girls were wearing these orange vests that said escort on them. And uh, so I was so tired, really tired, hadn't slept and so out of it. And the murderer guy was screaming at me. And I was so confused by all this that I thought to myself in my head, I thought, are they hookers? <laughs> and if so, why are they wearing something emblazoned with their job title? Because that's illegal. <laughs> this is what's going through my head. And, you know, I look at them and the girl is like, seriously, where did you get them? Are they vintage? They're really cute. And I'm like, look at them. And it was so, you know, the one thing that could snap me out of the sort of the very frightened and, and sad and ashamed, very ashamed and guilty place I was in was materialism <laughs> because I am a girl from New Jersey. And so she was speaking to me about shopping, which was so banal, mundane, and had nothing to do with anything that was going on there that I was just like, yeah, I got them at Target. And then she was like, where? And I was like, the one in Brooklyn, do you know, by Atlantic <laughs> Terminal? And she was like, oh, my God. And so we start, I start walking with them because she's motioning for me to walk with her. I start walking with her and the guy's still in the back are going, murderer. But I don't even hear it because I'm like, your glasses are so cute. I have glasses, too. I'm not wearing glasses right now because I'm wearing my contacts. But your glasses are so cute. Where did you get them? And she's like, I got them at Fabulous Fannies. It's this store. And they have vintage frames. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, really? That's so fun. And the other girl's like, yeah, it's really cool. I go there, too. And this is Omar. And he's going to use the security wand on you. And I realized that they had distracted me. They were, first of all, I, I finally realized as I suddenly was like, oh, hello, random uh, black man with a security <laughs> wand. And now they had gotten me from the, the place where the man was legally allowed to protest um, all the way, which I think is like 15 feet, um, all the way to the entrance to Planned Parenthood. Um, and, and there was a guy who was about to, you know, do the security wand thing with me and go through my bag. And like they had done all that just very seamlessly. And I hadn't even realized what was going on because I was so out of it and scared and all those things that, you know, that some people are when they go to Planned Parenthood. And so these women were so, so brilliantly trained and they just were just angels to me. Like I, at that moment, I was like, I'm always going to donate money to Planned Parenthood um, because they had 
they had done exactly what I needed them to do. They had saved me and they had spoken to me in my own language. And, you know, it was um, it was really wonderful of them. And I was like this – I paused. You know, sometimes you have a moment that you realize is profound in the moment. And I kind of paused and I was like, I'll see you girls later. <laughs> and, and then I want to know where you got your shoes. <laughs> and they're like, OK, we'll see you later. And, you know, as I go inside and Omar is, like, doing the wand thing, I look out and they're doing, like, the same thing with another woman who had shown up in a cab and looked just equally frazzled as yeah. I did. And it was such a wonderful moment that just g- it gave me such respect and love for Planned Parenthood. And then I walk in to the um, – I walk into the waiting room and it's just full of, like, black teenagers. Yeah. And I, I kind of – I had the exact same experience. Right? Like, yeah. it's teenage boys waiting for their girlfriends. Yeah. The Well, the uh, – Number of uh, abortions among the black community in New York is astronomical. Is it really? Because it sometimes is. people – like there is this whole conservative thing um, and it's where they try to like spread the idea that that like, you know, um, that, that Planned Parenthood is targeting black people and stuff. And they're really not. Like I worked there and they're really not. They're not targeting black people. They just use the statistics for for their own personal political yeah. agenda. I mean, I think it would be interesting to to look at it and see actually what the stats are. I mean, I know that the the sort of like out of wedlock child, you know, mm. the actual birth rate is higher among black teenagers for sure. Um, I, I, I will say that um, among like most abortions are our our first trimester, but at parent, Planned Parenthood. Federation of America, I learned that there there are some, for sure there are some second trimester abortions and those tend to happen among uh, a poor population. Right. So I don't I don't know what the you know racial breakdown is there. Well I remember reading the story and talking about it on a different podcast that I do, uh, in nowhere near the same respectful tones that we're using right now. Uh, <laughs> but I remember talking about that and reading about it and then a few months after that there was that whole controversy that just recently happened, the billboard uh here in New York City. Do you remember that that billboard that was talking about how it was the whole like kind of genocide of Black Holocaust. The, bl- the Black right. Holocaust, of course. Like they they used those statistics that came out that were legitimate uh to further their own political agenda. I mean that's the thing is that it, it's so hard to kind of parse what people do with those sorts of things, you know, with those statistics, like you can't really control what people do with them. Exactly. You just present them and, and, you know, statistics also, sometimes you you have to, and nobody has the time to do this, but sometimes it's like, okay, well you have these statistics. How did you get them? Was it voluntary opt-in? Did you get them on the internet? Did you go to high school? Did you ask teens on the street? Are teens more likely to lie? You know, were their parents in the room? Like Mm -hmm. there's all that kind of thing. And For me, like my opinion is that the people who are going to have abortions most of the time or whatever – and this isn't Planned Parenthood stats or anything. This is just something that I think just based on anecdotal observation. Um, I feel like people who are more likely to have abortions are people who are – who cannot take care of their children. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like I could take care of a kid. You know, I could move home. I could give up – doing comedy and all this stuff. I could go move home, move in with my parents, take care of a child. Like, you know, thank God, I mean, for my parents, the kid would never want for anything except maybe a dad (laughs) and a mom who wasn't fucking bitter. But, you know, that child would be taken care of and loved and given all the best in the world. And 
would grow up with a family that loved her or him and all that stuff. So for me, I'm I'm one of the types where you could go, well, this bitch is just selfish because she had an abortion because it's inconvenient for her. She doesn't want to get fat. Right. Um, no, but it's not that. You know, she just doesn't. Her career, fuck that. You made a child. Like, you need to be responsible for that. I get that and I understand that argument. But I think most people who seek out abortions aren't like me. They're maybe – Maybe they're married and they have a lot of kids and they can't afford another one. A lot of times it's it's money. Yeah. Um, they just can't. There's a the single mom who can't afford to take care of the baby. Other times it's um it's teenagers. They're too young. They're way too young to have kids. They don't know how to raise a kid, right? And and then sometimes it's people. I think a lot of it's economics. I honestly think if we made more money, <laughs> you know, as as a whole, if if people were more comfortable. I, I think it's economics a lot of the time because they just can't afford to have a baby, whether it's because you're a child, you're a child yourself, or whatever. And um, and I think that so if 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 we go by that, right? So if you assume like uh, okay, a population group that has less income is going to be less able to take care of children and might be more likely to get abortions, then in that case, I can see. I mean, I, I feel like. But in that case, I look at it and I go, okay, well, racism plays a part there too. So if you say like, okay, well, a lot of you know, um, a lot of the abortions that are performed in New York City proper are on African Americans. Well, of course, it's well, all. Then you it's go about, like, well, what's the income level? And course. what's what are the what are the demographics in the city? Like, uh, what if I if I went to a whiter city, we would say the majority of those abortions formed, performed are, are on you know Irish. white people on the Irish. <laughs> God damn those fuckers. Uh, uh, and so, you know, there's so many different things that play into it. And I think for some people, they just go, well, they just don't love Jesus enough or they don't love God enough or they're just evil. But that's not it. I mean, these people are – there's a lot of different factors that go into it. It's not just like religious or whatever. It's – a lot of times it's it's economic. It's social. It's – and then we're not even taking into account people who had unwanted sex. So they were they were raped by someone they knew. They were raped by someone they didn't know. They – you know, whatever. They were molested like – it's just such a complicated issue. But I understand people who think that abortion is wrong across the board. I used to be one of those people. When I was a teenager, that's what I thought. Well, you're Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I was, ra- or I was raised Catholic and right. I totally – you know, I wanted to go to the March for Life and I wanted to do all kinds of stuff, uh, anti-abortion stuff. I remember – true story. I remember being in eighth grade and saying to my friend – I don't understand why abortion is legal. It should be illegal across the board. It should even be illegal if women are raped. And we decided – we were these 13-year-old girls, right? And we were very indoctrinated from being in catechism classes and we said, you know, an abortion is so wrong because even if you're raped, it's like the baby is a gift God is giving you for oh. your suffering. I said that and I fucking meant it. Ooh. Absolutely. And I was a smart kid. I tested very well. Yeah. But, you know, I that I fucking meant it and I absolutely 100% believed it. And I believed it for a long time. Um, and then when I was, I guess, around 16 or 17, I had friends who started actually having sex and, and, and you know, possibly getting knocked up and me going, holy shit, this no child deserves to be raised by this crazy bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and you know wow and 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 realizing that not everybody came from a a nice reasonably happy two parent you know two car in the driveway dinner on table every night kind of family like i did in a a, a very you know low crime suburb and all this shit like not everybody lived the fucking fairy tale princess life that i lived right 
remember my first uh, experience with abortion was being annoyed by how much a guy talked about it. Oh, he wouldn't stop talking about it? Well, he, uh, his girlfriend had gotten an abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we were eh, 15, 16. Uh, and he would not stop talking about how much, like, he felt it and all of this and that. Like phantom pains? Like phantom pains. Yeah, or he was like, sad because he wanted to have a kid. He was, no, 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 phantom pains. He was like, man, when she had the abortion, like, I, I, I felt it. And, you know, after the first couple times, you're like, okay, man. Like, you know, like, I get it. You're, you're really feeling something here. And then it just got to be one of those attention-grabbing things mm-hmm. where he just kept saying it over and over and over. Which is like, Jesus Christ, I don't want to hear about your girlfriend's abortion anymore. (laughs) 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 And it's it's also one of those things. It's like that's a very private, very personal thing. She probably uh, wouldn't appreciate you talking about it all the time, buddy. Would not appreciate her, you know, him talking about it. Like it was just one of those things. And there was this other girl who, you know, like she had all these rumors. Like it wasn't – it was weird. Nobody was really – nobody really talked about being against it. Like a lot of people – I mean this is small town Texas. We're talking like 300 people, very small town West Texas. Uh, and people just really didn't talk about it being wrong. Like people just sort of talked about it like matter of factly like, eh. But the on the other hand, nobody really you – know, like the upper class – well, actually, no. There was no upper class to tell you the truth. Like 70 percent of my town was like below the poverty line. Wow. Extremely, extremely poor town. Wow. Uh, so there really wasn't that many people that were – like my family was – like, we were, by all intents and purposes, like, middle class. Right. Like, by, you know, you're talking socioeconomically, m- nationally, middle class, we were considered to be just amazingly rich. You were fancy. We were fancy and amazingly rich because everyone else was so amazingly poor. Like, the poverty line was like $12,000 a year, and most of the people in town were $12,000 wow. $12, and under, and some of those people got abortions, but most of them didn't. And you, ha- I had a girl that dropped out in my class. Dropped out at like fifteen. So sad. Never went to, never went to, never finished high school or anything like that. Uh, and there were plenty of other girls that were the same way. You know, like they got pregnant and then they just sort of disappeared. And it's like, did they? School. You know, those girls that you're when you're a thirty year old with a fifteen year old, do you look bad? You know, you may love your child, but look at all the things that. That you gave up and, and also, are you really going to be a good parent? Are you really going to give your child all the opportunities that, that you want? You know, maybe if she had had an abortion and waited years, maybe she could have been able to finish high school, could have been able to even go to college if she wanted, could have made more money and raised a kid better and not had, you know, it's interesting. I will say this, though, is that uh, a large majority of the girls who got pregnant in high school, um, the people who got them pregnant were not in high school. Like you're talking guys oh, that are, you know, 22 in their, and shit. Well, in some cases, 30. Ew. Like that was, that was a regular occurrence. Like you have guys in their twenties dating high school girls. Those guys are losers. Those guys were absolute losers. And I remember we were all pissed off because the girls that were our age, we couldn't date them 
because the guys, like the sleazeballs in their 20s and 30s, they would be the ones dating them. It's like McConaughey and Dazed and Confused. <laughs> exactly. Dudes like that who just hang around. Exactly. Oh, there were so many. But on the other hand, you couldn't hate them too much because those are the guys that bought you beer. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, listen, I'm going to fuck your girl, but here's some beer and yeah. like, I grow pot in my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but most of those guys, like they just sort of flew away. Um, but... The guy that I was talking about, or the girl that I was talking about that got pregnant at 15, that guy, the guy that got her pregnant, stuck around and helped raise the kid. They have like two or three kids oh, now. Oh, well, good for They're them, They're still man. together, you know, and that's, that's so cool. over, you know, over 10 years ago. That's a good uh, man. He is. Like, you know, like, I mean, really, I don't know what their home relationship right, is like yeah. or anything like that. I don't know them personally. All I know is that that dude is still around. And that they're still married, and you know, and that's great. Whenever that happens, that's but a good and a rare thing, man. If he yeah. if he sticks around, and I mean, it's like that's what a man should do. And so I'm not saying that he's more. I I am saying he's more of a man for doing that. I'm not saying he's a necessarily like a, a stand up guy. Who knows? We don't know him personally. Yeah, I don't know. But that. like he did the right thing by sticking around, and he did the right thing by being a father. I think what I've seen with my girlfriends and when I was a, very briefly a high school teacher and working with kids for a couple of years, the most fucked up thing that can happen to a kid, like A, is getting molested. Yeah. But B, is um, for a girl, is dad not being around. Yeah. Because when dad isn't around, that forms all of their relationships with men from then on. And I can't speak for boys, like what it, which is worse or better for them. But when a dad isn't around for a girl, like that really is – that really fucks with her head. Mm-hmm. Unless she has a real strong male figure in like a good stepdad, not a fucking dick, but a good stepdad or a grandpa or an uncle who's very present and who is her father figure. Like it's not the same as having your dad dad there, but that – just that feeling of early rejection by a man – will do a lot to a girl. Yeah. So, you know, even if they get divorced or they just never get married, like if a guy is in her life, she just needs somebody to to be there. And even if they don't live in the same town, she needs somebody to call and, and email or write or send, send presents and also check in and be like, how are your grades? And, you know, you need that because it's hard to have I mean, it's so hard because also then you got, you know, you got your mom and she's probably working all the time. So you don't see her that much. Um so, yeah, that's the number one thing I've noticed that fucks up girls. Well, number one thing is getting – for girls and guys is getting, like, sexually assaulted. Even just, like, getting beat up and hit and all that fucked up stuff, still wrong. But that – like, just looking at the kids that I've known, the thing that fucked them up the most was anything, like, sexually assaulted. And then the secondary thing for girls, at least, was if a dad wasn't there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to bring it all back around – uh, bring with, it back around. Bring it all back around. We were, uh, we were going to talk about female ejaculation, but we'll do that next time. <laughs> we'll do that next time. <laughs> we were like, uh, we'll talk about one night stands and abortions. To bring it all uh, back around, uh, there was a guy that I grew up with uh, that had a one night stand and got the woman pregnant mm-hmm. and married her. Wow, yeah, Jesus. That did not work out at all. No! Like, that was a bad idea. And and she was, you know, I mean, they were not met. And, and, you know, good on him for trying to do the right thing. 
Like, that's great. I understand that where he was coming from. He's a good man. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is a very, very good man. Like, cl- like he's very close to my older brother. Uh, his little brother is very close to me. Well, good for him uh, for trying, man. Good for him for trying and for right trying instincts. to do the right thing. And, you know, and he's always going to be there for that kid. That's so good. Always. He's always going to be there for that kid. Uh, but... Uh, for everyone out there who has a one-night stand and you accidentally gr- get a girl pregnant and for some reason, you know, the woman doesn't want to get an abortion, still be there for the kid. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, I mean, if the woman doesn't want to do it, that is her decision, not yours, you know. I mean, that's a whole can of worms right there. No, that, but I, I understand. Mean, that we don't even want to get into. I mean, I don't legally, know I, it is her legally, decision. That's what I'm saying. You legally, may not agree with it morally, but legally, legally, it is. It's her um, decision. And right if, now, it is. Yeah. And if you know, if that happens, all right, yeah, you fucked up, but still be there for the kid. Yeah. You know, still be there for him. You know, you have a lifelong obligation now. Uh, you know. Follow some examples. Yeah. I mean, you got plenty. I look at people like, um, I, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know Jamie Foxx at all personally. <laughs> I don't know hardly a damn thing about him. But I do know that he has at least at least partial custody of his daughter. And I think he might have – I'm not sure if he has full custody. He has full custody of his younger sister who has Down syndrome. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. And she lives with him. And um, she did. She was on stage performing with him at I think the Grammys or the VMAs, which was pretty cool. She was dancing and she like got some moves. I was like, Jesus. Um, but she was awesome. But um, yeah, he's – I mean that's somebody who's very – obviously very important in his life. But his his daughter, he brings his daughter to things like he bring you know he very talks about her in interviews and stuff, and that to me sends a very powerful message. I don't know if he was ever married to her mother or not. And also, this is this is silly too, but like okay, so Diddy, so Sean Combs, <laughs> Sean Combs, uh, just a, a larger than life figure, but talks like is obviously a presence in his children's lives like talks about them makes videos about them and puts them on youtube he does this series on his youtube channel called daddy daycare (laughs) and look it's probably him and a million nannies and who knows how much he is actually involved with the kid but the message he's sending and he says this sometimes in at the end of the videos and they're always cute it's him and his him and his daughter is like he's got god i think he has four or five kids so it's him and you know his sons and him and whoever but it'll be him and his like baby daughters who I think they're now like three or four and there he'll be like, you know, guys, take care of your kids, like acknowledge your children, you know, take care of your children, be with them. And they're just, it's funny to watch them just do whatever they want. Like he obviously just lets them do whatever they want, at least the girls, because they're just like, daddy. And they're like trying to make him drink tea and dress him up and shit. And they're like, he's like, give daddy a kiss. And they're like, no, candy. And it's really funny, but stuff like that. When you see men behaving in that way, it really does send uh, it sends a message, um, and you know. And then you have, and then on the other hand, you have like <laughs> I'm not going to get into it, but there's one there's one artist, a hip hop artist, who I really really love his stuff and respect it a lot, and I think he's a fantastic artist. But you know, I hear about he's got like five, six, seven kids, and different women are suing him for child support. Like that that sends a message yeah. too, you know. It really does, and uh, a lot of those uh, people. Professional basketball players. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sean, you, got, you got money. Sean Kemp has 
dozens of children. <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not even fucking with you, Sean Kemp. I mean, he is. I mean, he has children in every city that he's ever played basketball <laughs> in. Uh, this and is he's Denver. Just, yeah. This is Houston. <laughs> this is this is New Jersey. This is New York. Yeah. Follow the example of P. P. Diddy, not the example of Sean Kemp. <laughs> like, take care of your children. I mean, you don't look if you're not cut out to be a dad. I get it. You don't have to be all like ushy gushy, but you know, show up to a ballet recital once in a while, or or ma- encourage the kid to take ballet, or you know, show up one send send letters on the regular, send emails, you know, put in the phone call. Like at least show them that you are a presence. Contribute what you're obligated to financially, not more. You know, don't let somebody take you for a ride, but like contribute what you're supposed to financially and and have partial custody unless, you know, unless you're a fucking psychopath and then in which case you don't deserve any. But I mean, I, you know, I grew up with two married, my parents have been together since they were 17, but my mom grew up with a single mom. Her dad checked out when she was 10 and her sister was like nine or eight and it really was hard for her. Her mom was on food stamps and, you know, her dad moved like a town over and, you know, married somebody and, and, and had stepdaughters that he saw took had a new family basically that he saw way more than he saw my mom for years and years and thank god they were able to you know reconnect when she was a bit older and part of that was that my grandma was you know my grandma didn't what was very bitter and didn't want him around and Mm -hmm. i understand that you know it wasn't all my granddad's fault or something but it really does make an impression on a person and i know that for my mom, like what she took from that was that she wanted to have a family where there was a, a father very much present. And so I know that she and my dad both put a lot of effort into their marriage over the years and thankfully are well-matched people. Sometimes you get married and, you know, my my best friend, she's getting married um, this fall. I was just talking to her and her mom and dad got divorced when she was 10 mm-hmm. and – but, you know, damn it if, like, he wasn't there. You know, he showed up when she flew home from college. They would go to pick her up together and, you know, he would – he came to family dinners. He would still – even when he knew that his ex-in-laws were going to be there or his ex-wife, you know, he would see them. He would shake hands and say hello. Like, mm-hmm. it's awkward but, you know, and she's somebody who waited to get married till she found the right person and, the, you know, her parents were quite young. I mean, her mom – and dad got knocked up when when they were in college still. And so they had different circumstances and like they had their times of fights and and really not liking each other. Um but they they brought it together for her. They weren't fake. I mean, she knew they didn't, but they tried their best to keep their arguments off off center stage. Right. If they were going to fight in the phone, like somebody was probably going to take the portable phone and go outside and yell at the other one. And you know, so he were, they were there, and so it's she didn't. She, so she grew up. I feel much like my mother. I think she grew up with a greater respect for marriage and a greater than perhaps someone like me would. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of sometimes it skips a generation. Like I think sometimes they grew up with a greater respect for and desire for a, a steady marriage. You know. You know, I'm. I don't know. I mean, I think that does uh, depend on the person because, I mean, like you, my parents are still together as well. I mean, they've been together for – they were, you know, 19 and 20 whenever they uh, got together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also went to high school together too and happened to go to the same college. But so they didn't knew get each together. other. They knew each other. You know, they'd known each other since they were kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, like I, I think – like I have a, a very strong, great respect for their marriage because they've been together for – 
decades and they're still just as in love today as they were way That's back awesome. then. You know, and, but I also wonder if that gives me too high expectations. Oh, I, yeah. I, I wonder and I fear that. Like I fear that that's going to give me extremely high expectations for what marriage should be or if I have some sort of uh, – like uh, I'm not sure whether I'll ever get married or not mm. or ever have kids or anything like that. Still, That's still on the table. Uh, yeah. Still a little bit up in the air. I well, guess back home, I would bet that a lot of your friends are married. But here, a lot of straight – Single guys, you can stay straight and single till you're 45. Yeah, I mean, or most 50. most of them are divorced. I, I think out of my class, you know, which was about you know, like 12, uh, I think out of all them, there is. Uh, I think my parents are the only ones who are still together. Like, That's out amazing. Of all of us, like divorce is very their big, generation. Uh, that baby boomer generation really does have a high divorce rate. I mean, huge. they're they're the ones who got the divorce rate to you know fifty percent. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't Generation X or like I guess we're Generation Y. Um, it's you know it wasn't the 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 younger people. It was their generation. I mean, yeah. you get people who today are anywhere from somewhere in their their late forties to somewhere in their early sixties, like. It was those folks, you know. It's that that generation. You can't pin that shit on us. <laughs> <laughs> yep, learning from the lessons of the past as much as much as we can. Well, before we conclude, what has been a delightful uh, session. Uh, by the way, I want to say uh, you can always reach out to us twitter.com slash sarah j benincasa twitter.com slash marcus parks and um, i am at sarah benincasa.com you can also send us listener mail at sarah at sarah benincasa.com i am gonna go grab some listener mail so that we can uh, we can get into it what say ye sir i say yay all right, let's get into some reader mail, sir. So um, we had David write to us. David is an actual biblical scholar. Yeah. Um, and he uh, – I love this one. I know. I loved it too. We talked about onanism and masturbation, same thing, in our first podcast. And I had made the point that uh, – I was talking about the story of Onan and asked for some more information because my understanding was that Onan got in trouble in the Bible for um, pulling out and spilling his seed on the ground and for disobeying God because he was supposed to knock up. He was supposed to knock a lady up and he, he didn't want to. Um, David said – David had a slightly different take on it. He said that Onan – yes, God was mad at him for disobeying but God had specifically told him not to waste his seed. Mm. And so that is where the interpretation – at least in some translations I guess. That was where the interpretation came that jacking off is a sin because it wastes your seed. Because it wastes something that God gave to you, life-giving properties and all that jazz and I jizz. St- I still don't get why it's a big deal. I know. Like, it's like wasting your seed. What does that mean? There's more like five minutes later. Yeah, I'm still like, God, seriously. Exactly. <laughs> Freaking God. It's almost – it's damn near infinite. God. Ugh. God, God. Now, we also had a young gentleman who, um, who wrote to us from the U.K., and uh, this young gentleman who I, I, I wrote back to him. I was like, hey, man, do you want me to use your real name or not? And he was like – he didn't write back. So I'm like, all right. Well, I'm just going to call him Jeffrey. Mm. I don't think that's his real name. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. So he wrote to us. <laughs> Jeffrey wrote to us. He's from Leeds in the UK. And Jeffrey was like, I'm 16. Um, I'm not sexually active yet, but I hope to be. <laughs> and so what, you know, what about this one night stands thing? I was listening to you guys and I, I don't get it. Our one night stands things that everybody has. Are they, um, and this, he was listening to us before our one night stands conversation today. <laughs> 
He's in fact, this conversation was inspired, inspired by Joffrey. Inspired by Let's call him Joffrey. <laughs> I like Joffrey. Joffrey. So he was like, is this something that all adults have? How do I handle it? What's the deal? Um, the answer is no. It's A one-night stand is not something that all adults have. I am not against them, nor would I recommend them. I'm mm-hmm. pretty neutral on it. A one-night stand is not something that you ought to force. I think that as, uh, as Kurt's dad told him on Glee, um, you are worth something and sex means something. So uh, don't – just it's not about keeping your precious diamond to yourself or your precious <laughs> treasure it's about you know something emotional does happen during sex guys can a lot of times people say well guys can fuck and not feel anything other than an orgasm and that that's true some guys some guys but that's still something still happens you're still doing something to someone and having them do something to you so my my thing is uh, – what I would say is a one-night stand is not the ideal. If it happens, cool. But ideally, I think it's a nice thing if you go out on a few dates or even you're just hanging out and you know somebody for a while. You trust each other before you become se- sexually intimate with them because your first time you'll always remember and it's not the most important time. I've had way better sex, although my first time was really fun. But um, it doesn't set the tone for the rest of your sex life. But uh, you will always remember it. It will be significant in some way to you. So it doesn't have to be spectacular, but try and make it respectful and and try and do it with some – do it with feeling. You know, you don't have to be in love, but at least be in respect if that is a thing. And I would say that 16 is way too young. Yeah, it's pretty for, young, for, man. For one night stands, like, oh, I mean, yeah. I, I think for anything like that, like I, I think uh, what I would say, hold your horses, son. Like it, it's you can. It's too early to be thinking about that. Think about you know getting that one girl first. You know, and that's the thing. Like a lot of guys are like, yeah, you know, you can just go out and fuck it. And it's like no, just fuck it, motherfucker. That is not a good idea. That's how. Like, that's how things just get fucked up, you know? Like, that's just how bad things happen, maybe for you. For Sometimes it's fine. A lot of times it is fine. But it's so much better whenever – because the one – the girl that I lost my virginity to, I mean, granted, it was extremely weird. She was, like, in college. I was in high school. Hey! hey. Do you see how different our reaction is? The yeah. fact that you were a younger guy and she was an, an older girl. Like, our mm. reaction was totally different. We were like, oh, that's hot. Yeah. Not yeah, creepy yeah. at all. No, it really wasn't. I mean, it, it was pretty sweet. Yeah, Jerry uh, – she put on Sarah McLaughlin. Oh, no. And, oh, uh, was it fumbling towards ecstasy? <laughs> I have no idea. In the arms of the angel. <laughs> she was one of those Far types of girls. away from my dick. And she kind of looked like Tori Amos. Oh wow! Did and she also? Did she also like eat blood and and like? Actually, she was on her period. Ew! Yeah, and, oh, and she said that. Why she am I to, saying ew? That's beautiful. Yeah, and she said that she had to stop because she could smell her own blood. See, here's the and thing. Let's take a break, Marcus. You're not, <laughs> Marcus. You're not allowed to talk for another minute. Uh, everyone, what we just witnessed here is Marcus taking it to a real place. Here on Sex and Other Human Activities, we're not afraid to get real. And I am a very outrageous person who likes to push the envelope, so to speak. I enjoy a bit of shock value to my comedy and the such. I enjoy uh, getting a reaction. I get off on it. That's part of of what I do. You know, it's part of the thing. Uh, The fact that I am a a nice-looking young lady who says naughty things, I fully own and recognize that that is part of my comedy and it's something I use for effect. Uh, however, there are moments 
even for me, where I am shocked. Yeah. And what uh, Marcus just unleashed upon us <laughs> was shocking to me. I will say that. Oh, and uh, the only light in the room was uh, Jerry Springer. From her tiny little dorm room. I thought TV. you were going to say Jerry Seinfeld. No. All right, I'm better with Springer. I'm cool with that. Yeah, Springer's fun. And and I, uh, yeah, you know what I've learned in my time in New York? I am not normal in the least bit. Like my, uh, you know, my the stories that I tell, uh, I should not tell most of the time. That's what I have found. Most of the time, I should keep my mouth shut. Me too. But you know what, Marcus? We're storytellers. We're natural-born storytellers. It's what's going to happen. Yeah, it is what's going to happen. Oh, I have something. One more thing before we go, uh, before I run away <laughs> to <laughs> to Boston for the Women in Comedy Festival taking place this weekend. What You won't hear this, but just, just know that that's where I am. Um, okay, we got something from Angela. Uh, hi, Miss Sarah Benincasa. I'm a huge fan. Thank you, Angela. I would say I'm a huge fan of everything you do, but damn, there are blogs, videos, podcasts, stuff everywhere. It's true. I'm sort of compulsive. I keep finding new things and I'm not sure if I found it all, but thank you for putting it all out there. What you do is not just fun. It's valuable. It's a service. Do you hear that, Marcus? It's a goddamn service. Is it now? You may not be a teacher, but you are teaching. Well, I hope so, Angela. Thank you. That's, I mean, obviously, that's super fucking nice. Makes me feel good. I have an idea for sex and other human activities. Okay. It's more pre-sex and other human activities. Flirting. How do I? (laughs) (laughs) That is a whole show. Uh, It will. Episode two touched on this a bit, but I'm not a college guy who has house parties and a sexy voice. Damn. (laughs) She wants to have sex with you. I can tell. (laughs) Angela, you know what? Good for you. I'm a cute, awesome, but shy single gal in my mid-30s who is out of practice. Fucking long-term relationship. There is a guy at work. Sigh. I like Angela. And if he's not interested and or available for a merry romp, I'd like to preserve enough of my dignity so I don't have to quit my job. I know about the hair flipping, preening behaviors, looking up and looking back down, et cetera, et cetera, intellectually at least. But I want your spin and Marcus's spin. How do you two define flirting? What are your techniques? How can women and men flirt at women, clubs, elementary school graduations, funerals? You know what? (laughs) I like you, Angela. I like Angela a lot, A. Um, And she goes on and it's very cute. Here's what I'm thinking. We should – do we should answer this on the next episode? Absolutely. Of of sex and other human activities. I was going to talk about possibly about what I'm still not sure if it was a miscarriage, which is like the follow up to the story <laughs> that I told earlier. But instead of me talking about what may or may have not been a miscarriage, it could have just been a bad period. Could have been. Let's <laughs> talk next time. Let's talk about flirting for Angela, and we'll devote it to. We'll devote it to Angela's question. Wonderful. And we'll get to some other reader mail too. So feel free to email us, sarah at sarahbenincasa.com. And again, uh, you can go to sarahbenincasa.com, facebook.com slash official sarahbenincasa. Go to twitter.com slash Marcus Parks. There's a whole fucking world where you can have, uh, where you can get down with us. There is. Uh, and you know what, Marcus, do we have anything else to promote before we leave? Oh, oh I got to give a shout out to Mr. Mark Marin of, oh, yeah. of the yes, yes, What yes. the Fuck podcast because – Marcus ran tech for it at the Bell House the other night. Well, I did not. You ha- assisted. You assisted I, with I, tech. I, I assisted. I, record, I recorded the show so that the masses could hear it. You assisted with tech, and that is very exciting. And um, so, a shout out to Mr. Mark Marin, and also a shout out to Miss Jennifer Schwalbach and Mr. Kevin Smith, who I saw and, and had the pleasure of spending some time with when they were here in New York City for the Radio City Music Hall premiere of their new film, Red State. Terrifying, fun, exciting. Uh, Jen and I hung out. Uh, few times had quite a few drinks <laughs> had girl time enjoyed enjoyed ourselves also a big uh, a big shout out to Megan Kevin and Jen's assistant 
who is just a fucking cool girl, and and to her fun friend uh, Christine. It was just a lovely time, really. And Jen Schwalbach is very neato, and you can listen to her and Kevin on a podcast called Plus One. Um, and you can find that at smodcast.com. So, uh, of course, we're giving love to other podcasts because, you know, they're the wind beneath our wings. Absolutely. Hey, let me ask you something. Yes, sir. Uh, did Kevin Smith say my name at all? Did he say Marcus at all? Yeah. He did not say Marcus to me. I, I, saw, oh. I saw Kevin a few times, but just briefly. It was more just me and Jen, like, like dr- swilling champagne <laughs> and just being up to no good. And Kevin was so – he was very busy doing press and all kinds of stuff, but he's a very nice man. Of and, course. And what a, you know, what a talented cast. You must see this movie when it comes to your town. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, all I got to say is that a 14-year-old me right now is just shit in his pants. Right? Yeah. 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 I, it was damn a good time. It was so weird seeing my friend Jen's an atheist, and she um, is also very science oriented. Which you know, if you listen to the podcast, she loves science, and 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 she'll be doing more of that on their upcoming uh, uh, podcast network, sir. And so, seeing Jen play a fundamentalist Christian, a homophobic murderer, <laughs> was so weird. There's one part in the film, and this isn't a spoiler or anything, but there's one part in the film where someone is being tortured. And Jennifer, the shot that that he had been edited in of Jennifer just sitting there smiling really like creepily, just happy, just fucking happy as a clam to see someone being tortured horribly was so fucked up. I told her afterwards and I wasn't even drunk yet. I was like, Jen, that shit was scary. (laughs) That shit was fucking scary. But it was really fun, and I got to meet the producer of the film, John Gordon, and his um, his lovely wife, Catherine, and and um, it was just a really nice night. So go out and see Red State, and of course, keep listening to Sex and Other Human Activities. We appreciate each and every one of you, but- especially those of you who made it this far. Oh, totally. Bye, kids. Bye. Goodbye.